Hey, um, so uh, my name's Dave, in case you don't know. Uh, hello, everybody. Kia ora, kia ora. Hey, that was a great response. Um, it is great to be here uh, with you uh, this morning as we carry on um, in our prequel series to a series that we're about to move into on the spiritual gifts. And this series that we're in is like Bible characters who express, uh, who express one of or potentially a couple of those spiritual gifts that we're going to be talking about later on. And so as I said, this is a prequel series. And so that means that what I covered today, we're going to cover more in depth later so hopefully, in a way, this is almost like a taste tester. So who enjoys when you're walking around the corner at the supermarket and you see one of those little booths and they're handing out little taste samplers? Yeah? Yeah? Awesome. And it's always like, yes, I was feeling quite peckish. And then you've eaten like 20 samples. Anybody done that? No? Me either. Okay, so I just wanted to see if anybody was going to be super honest this morning. Um, the, yeah, but in a way, you know, this morning is like one of those like samplers, you know, like where we're looking at a person in the Bible, in God's Word, who exhibits uh, one of these uh, gifts. And so this morning, um, we're going to be unpacking one of the spiritual gifts. But before we go there, I thought, you know what, um, this might be your first Sunday here with us this year, or first Sunday here with us, full stop. And so when we're talking about spiritual gifts, what are we talking about here? I've just realized I don't have the clicker. Woo! So I have the wand of authority um, this morning, and this is not my usual game that I play. Um, so um, if I do forget to change the slide, just like signal that I've forgotten to change the slide. Is that cool? Yeah? Oh, come on, family. Is that cool? Yep, you can do that. Okay, I'm going to need your help this morning. It is clearly a long weekend. Um, so anyway, spiritual gifts. What are we talking about here? Uh, the Greek word uh, for gift um, is charisma, um, from which we get the word charismatic. So uh, the Greek word for gift is charisma, and to, the, to this day, like, sorry, not to this day, this day and age, we've got the idea of, you know, like charismatic churches, that kind of thing. And so basically, what they're saying is that there are churches that really like hone in or focus on the spiritual gifts. But the root for, word for charisma is charis, which, does anybody know what that word means? Because Shelley was talking about it last week. Grace, yeah, perfect. Um, so when we are functioning in our gifts, we are functioning in God's grace. I'll say that again. When we're functioning in our gifts, we are functioning in God's grace. In other words, the gifts are graces. So the gifts aren't something that we've earned. It's not like we've like, got up to level 10 and now we're like, given something that we can use for Jesus. That's not how it works. Ah, oh, sorry, it's distracting. Yeah. So and we're about to go to another quote. I oh, mean... Good point. Thank you for that. We're going to go to a, qu a quote now from John Mark Comer, who writes this and says this about uh, the gifts. So anyway, this is what it says. Um, In Paul's theology, grace is way more than God saying that he's cool with you. So this is now unpacking the idea of gifts being graces. Grace is God's empowering presence deep in your bones, animating you from the inside out to do what he has put in front of you. And this language of charisma or gift is all over Paul's writings. It's a calling and ability to participate in God's kingdom in a special and unique way. 
I love that last sentence. It is a calling and ability to participate in God's kingdom in a special and unique way. So good. And so today, the gift that we're going to be looking at, drumroll please. Ah, yeah, some people are awake. So good. Is the gift of leadership. So this morning we're going to be looking at the gift of leadership. And now when I say that word, I would hazard a guess that in this room, if we like were to, to share out the first thing that came to mind, we would have like a real varied like definition of leadership or experience around leadership. Um, for some of you this morning, um, you may have firstly considered um, like a famous leader or an infamous leader. Like who's a history buff here? Who loves history? Man, I'm way outnumbered. Oh, no. Thank you, brother. appreciate it. So you might have thought, you know, of somebody like Winston Churchill or the guy on the other side, you know, for the infamous side of things. Um, you may have thought of J.F. Kennedy. You might have thought of Oliver Cromwell. You might have thought of... Who are some other names? Donald Trump. Do Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Ha like, half of people here just got triggered. Um, <laughs> um, other leader names? Historical leader names. Or maybe not historical, current. Craig Barrow. Craig Barrow. Ah. Oh. See, this is why you get all the brownie points, John, John, from the back, because you come out with statements like that. So good. So good. Um, so it could be even like, you know, individuals like Steve Jobs or, you know, like individuals, basically people who, like, in some way have led and changed society. Um, and so that might have been you this morning. You may have considered um, good leaders or bad leaders, like kind of like the difference between uh, the fact that there is such thing as a good leader and there is such thing as a bad leader. Um, for you, you might have been considering like a positive leadership experience, something that either like as you have led, it was a positive experience, or that you came under like a really positive leadership experience, or maybe a not so positive experience in some way, shape, or form. This morning, uh, the word may have piqued your interest. You might be like, yes, leadership is my jam. I am so pumped that we're talking about that this morning. And then for some of you this morning, you might have kind of recoiled in your seat a little bit because you've been like, man, the, my experience around leadership, be it giving it or coming under it, just has not been a good one. And there's like a little bit of hurt there. And so we're just trusting that whatever our experience is in leadership, that Jesus is going to minister to us and speak through his word to us about his definition on leadership. And so you see, like we all have been exposed to leadership uh, in like different forms um, and exposed to the different leaders around us. Would we all agree on that? Yep. Yep. We've all been exposed to different forms of leadership and the leaders around us. Yeah. Put your hand up if you've been exposed. All right. Sweet. Some people are lying. Um, but not only that, I would say that we live in a world that is obsessed with leadership. Um, there is always a new book to read. Uh, there is always a conference to attend, a TED Talk to uh, watch, a podcast to subscribe to. Like, none of those things are bad, and they can be super, super helpful. But I think that as Christians, we need to be aware of obsessions. I think that we need to be aware of obsessions uh, simply because, I mean, hopefully you guys agree with me, as followers of Jesus, we kind of should only be obsessed with Jesus. Would you agree with that? Yeah? So, 
I think it's really important that when like, society or culture starts to get really obsessed about something, we need to pay attention to it. Because maybe God's saying something there, something there for the church as a whole to pay attention to. But maybe it's also something that the church needs to just be on guard about and aware of. And so we live in a culture and society that is obsessed with leadership. And so I think it's important to take note of that. Um, not only that, though, I would say that it's important to like, be aware of obsession because obsession quickly becomes or can like, result in saturation. And so right now we live in a, in a day and age where I would say there is a saturation around like, leadership. Now, in terms of either like, all the stuff that we just talked about, like books you can read, podcasts you can subscribe to, all of those kind of bits and pieces, or the fact that leadership right now is really divisive. Like, society is, like, quite divided, would you agree, over leadership, whether who, who should be the leader right now. And we've seen that, re- and, and it's like, okay, church, are we paying attention to that, and, like, what is going on in amongst all of that? And so obsession can quickly result in saturation, and I would say that then, in turn, saturation then starts to give us our definition and practice around that. And so when we start to focus on something like in a like kind of an obsessive way, it means that things start to get saturated. We start to hear a lot, notice a lot, read a lot about that kind of thing. And then in turn, we are given our definition of what that thing is and our practices around it. And I think that if that's the case, if that's what is happening, you know, I think it's really important that as a church, we're paying attention to things like the spiritual gift, to sorry, the gift of leadership, and going, Jesus, what do you have to say about things like this? Um, author Sky Jathani, when writing about church leaders and ministry, puts this fascination with leadership and leadership models this way. So this is the next quote for this morning. So he says this, many of us, many of us in ministry, and so I think we can change that word out for church are drawn to the strategies tested and proven by leaders of secular corporations because they are the most celebrated and successful leaders in culture. This is the next sentence I really want to pay attention to. Just as the Greeks exalted philosophers and Romans exalted soldiers, we exalt entrepreneurs and CEOs. Our culture celebrates their accomplishment and seeks to emulate their strategies. Just as the Greeks exalted philosophers, Romans their soldiers... We exalt the CEOs and entrepreneurs. And interestingly enough, all of those things were, at the time, those who had the power. Philosophers, thought leaders. Roman soldiers, well, army leaders. Or like, army leaders, that's not, that's not the, like, the best way of calling it. Sorry? Military leaders, thank you. That's a far better way of saying it. And then today, this day and age, Entrepreneurs and CEOs, and so it's kind of like corporate leaders are kind of like those who are elevated above the rest. And so I think it's important to draw out the difference between the natural ability to lead. So if our society is really like focused on leadership right now, we need to draw out the, um, sorry, the, between the difference between the natural ability to lead, the secular definitions of it, and the gift of leadership. Because I think that there is a distinct difference between the natural ability to lead and the spiritual gift to lead, or the gift of leadership. And I, want, I think we need to be doing this by ultimately letting Jesus define what leadership and his kingdom and empowered by his spirit looks like. 
So that's what we're going to do, um, just real quickly. We're going to go and look to the words of Jesus, uh, to some stories within Scripture in the Gospels where Jesus is talking about leadership and what leaders are like in his kingdom. And so the first one that we're going to be re- referring to is something uh, is a passage that uh, Craig in the first week referred to when he was talking about service. Um, and that's Matthew chapter 20, 25 to 28. And so basically the backstory here is that you've got um, James and John's mum has gone to Jesus and said, hey, when you come to power, when you come into your position of authority, can my sons sit on either side of you? And interestingly enough, she wasn't thinking about what Jesus was actually going to do. She already had in her mind and vision what it was going to look like, and it was the usurping of power from the Roman Empire and becoming king of the nation of Israel rather than the king of the kingdom of heaven. So already there was like a, like a stark contrast between what James and John's mum thought was happening and what Jesus was actually about. And so this is what we read. But Jesus called them together and said... So this is after this conversation's happened. You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many." He's already indicating what kind of leadership he was about in terms of what he was here to do. We read in Philippians chapter 2 how uh, Jesus didn't come to, like, to seek authority you know, or like, to be considered equal with God, even though he was, but rather he took on the position of a humble servant and he did what his father willed and he went to the cross on our behalf. Very different definition, very different practice when it comes to leadership in God's kingdom in comparison to the kingdom of the worlds today. So the next one that I would be drawing on is the Last Supper. So interestingly enough, this is the Last Supper. The disciples are hanging out with Jesus at the Passover meal, and they're sitting around together, and they've got into an argument yet again, after being with Jesus for three years, about who was the most important disciple among them. And this isn't the first time that they've ended up, ended up in this argument either. They've had this a couple of times, and Jesus had to like pull them in and say, guys, this is not how we do things here. This is not what we're about. And so this is what we read in Luke chapter 22, 24 to 26. Uh, they, uh, then they began to among, argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and the great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. And notice that like, kind of like funny little bit of sarcasm in there from Jesus? Yet they call them friends of the people. Yet these are the same individuals who are lording it over the common folk of the day. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you will take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Notice uh, something really important to remember also is that this is just after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He washes their feet, and then they get into an argument about who's the most important. And Jesus is like, really, guys? But I love that uh, he journeys with them. And we're going to see a bit more of this journey coming out soon um, with one of the particular disciples that we read about in Scripture. And so this is the call to what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. Um, And I think that there is a beautiful example 
um, of the gift of leadership in the person of Peter. And so Peter is who we want to talk about this morning. And now, one of the cool things about Peter is that you might not initially expect it to be him that we talk about this morning. Because when we first read about Peter in the Gospels, we see an overly ambitious, (laughs) um, impulsive, and self-assertive individual. Time and time again, we see, like, Peter, like, making very bold statements, and then Jesus kind of like saying, whoa, 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 Peter, let's pull it back here. This is actually not how we're going to do things. Peter's, you know, like making these bold statements, like saying, no, Jesus, this is not how it's going to be, and that kind of thing. And Jesus is quite often saying, Peter, this is not how I am doing things here. My kingdom looks very different. Uh, And then it gets even to the point where he rebukes Peter, like, real strongly, and he says, get behind me, Satan, as in not saying that Peter was Satan himself, but that his idea and definition of how Jesus should be doing things was not in line with the will of the Father and the kingdom of heaven. And so he's rebuking that and saying, no, that's not how we do things here. Then eventually, Peter, like, um, uh, at the supper, Jesus is talking about like being def- like um, betrayed, and Peter's like, "We'll never do that, Jesus." And then he's in the garden, and he's chopping a guy's ear off, and he's all militant, and he's like super gun ho kind of thing. And the whole time, Jesus is I just kind of he's just like, "Peter, slow down!" He's picking up the dude's ear, putting it back on, healing his enemy again. A very different form of leadership. Very different form of leadership. Notice that about Jesus. He heals his enemies. And then eventually, eventually, Peter betrays Jesus, denying him three times, just like Jesus said he would. Just like he said he would. And so you look at the person of Peter and you go, is this the guy who should be a leader? (laughs) I know that in my life, it's super easy to make impulsive decisions, what I think the right decisions are especially when I'm not connected and tight with Jesus and experiencing communion with him and like running off my own race. Um, And then just as we read before by the amazing Janine, thanks so much again for that reading. Here is Peter, post-denial and crucifixion. So this is that story we just read in John chapter 21. No longer bold and assertive. No longer bold and assertive. And the risen and victorious Jesus meets with him in that place and reinstates him. Again, notice the way of Jesus and his leadership. He's not looking for perfect leaders. He's not looking for the ones who've got it all together. And Jesus meets with a despondent, deflated, defeated Peter. having betrayed his friend and teacher, not just once, but three times. And then on the, the, the side of a lake, Jesus comes, the risen and victorious king of eternity. And he meets with Peter in that place. And he reinstates him. Again, not because of what Peter had done, but because of who Jesus was. And so this is why I think we need to pay attention to Peter. 
So Jesus does this reinstating for Peter, in my opinion, by reframing leadership in a very different way. And so he does so also by asking him a set of questions. He asks him three times. A lot of scholars and theologians talk about it. It's because it's like three times that Peter denies. So it's three times Peter Jesus, uh, sorry, three times that Jesus asks. But there's this interaction going on as Jesus again calls Peter out and he, and he lifts him up and he reinstates him as the disciple that he was meant to be. And he does so by reframing leadership for Peter and he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Interestingly enough, that, that's, that's where Jesus starts when he's reinstating Peter as a leader in his church. Peter, do you love me? Do you, lo- do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? If so, take care of my sheep. Shifting the definition from being about power and authority and self-assertion to service. It's a very different form and definition of leadership. And so spiritualgiftstest.com, which is um, one of the places that we've been using as a resource for the defining of like these spiritual gifts, talks about, about um, the, the gift of leadership, the spiritual gift of leadership, this way. So we'll chuck it up. The Holy Spirit gives the spiritual gift of leadership to summon the church to care for God's people and lead them into deeper relationship with Christ and each other. They base their success on how well they help others succeed and grow in their spiritual walk with Jesus. They are able to accomplish many different tasks and objectives as they lead, but they will always lead relationally and with a deep concern for the well-being of others. I love that in this definition we're seeing that, yes, they're able to do a bunch of different things. They're able to lead well. They're able to make decisions. They're wise in their discerning. They're individuals who are um, able to make risks and take a step of faith and step out in that sense. But more than anything, what drives their desire to lead is to see those individuals flourish Their well-being and spiritual connectedness with Jesus matters most to them. Which again, I would say is quite different to how we would define leadership, both from the dictionary and what a CEO might say leadership is these days. But again, we are wanting to differentiate between the difference of natural ability to lead and God's spiritual gift of leadership. And so this leadership... This gift is leading in a way that sees individuals flourish as they become who they were meant to be in Christ, making sure that they are well-nourished, equipped and empowered, growing in their maturity and faith as their roots go down deep into God's life and love. And they experience Him in increasing measure as their awareness of God's immediate presence grows And they participate in his kingdom flow and his will being done and his kingdom coming. This leadership, this gift is leading in a way that sees individuals flourish in their walk and life with Jesus. 
We can read a whole lot about um, how Peter leads the early church through the book of Acts, like where, ascent, where interestingly enough, he essentially becomes the lead apostle. This is, this is something really interesting. So Peter, after like a bit of a, wow, interesting like start to his, like, his leadership correct, career, he eventually, when, after Jesus reinstates him and the Holy Spirit comes upon him at Pentecost, all of a sudden, we see him moving more and more in, the early, in, in terms of like leading the early church, becoming the lead apostle, apostle where he's making like quite a lot of decisions, and he's calling people in, and there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And the first like half of Acts especially is about what Jesus is doing through the person of Peter. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to that, that we see that the Spirit comes upon Peter, and all of a sudden, he stands out in a crowd, and he starts speaking with boldness and clarity. But this time, notice it's not about what he thinks should happen, but what Jesus has already done and is doing right then and there. There is a great difference between Peter being this self-asserting leader where he's making his opinions known to all of a sudden making the person of Jesus known. There is a big difference between who we saw Peter was and to the person that Jesus transformed him to be and enabled him to be as the Spirit of God came upon him and filled him. How good is that, family? Are you encouraged by that? That as followers of Jesus, he has deposited in you gifts, graces of him of, that are his to function in. And it doesn't matter in terms of like how things have been. It's about who he is making you to be. And he will enable you. He will equip you. He will empower you because it is about what he is doing. It is about the person of Jesus, not who we think or how we think things should happen or who we think should be in power or all of that kind of thing. It's quite different. Quite different. And so... We read a whole lot of Peter, about Peter, as I said, in the early church. Interestingly, he essentially becomes the lead apostle. But I think we most clearly see how this reframing deeply impacted Peter's leadership and his pastoral leaders, letters in First and Second Peter. So the two letters that we have from Peter are pastoral letters. Letters that are about people going deep with Jesus and becoming who they are meant to be in Christ. How beautiful is that? How good is that? And so I just want to draw out from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through to 4. It says this. Peter writes this, and he's writing to leaders now in the church. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned it to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown. Sorry, this should be up. No, it is up. Woohoo! You will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. How good is that? Peter, all of a sudden, when he's speaking about leadership, it sounds a whole lot more like whose style of leadership? Jesus's. It's not about lording. It's not about position. It's not about authority. It's not about that title. It's not about that pay rise. 
It's about seeing people flourish. Becoming increasingly aware that the kingdom of God is near. Participating in life with God. As he fills us up to overflow. And letting that overflow affect others. I love how the reframing of leadership in Peter's life greatly affects what we see Peter to go and do. Yeah, he makes mistakes. He's human. But we see him all of a sudden not focusing on what he wills, but on what God in heaven was willing, what he desired, what he longed after. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Dallas Willard, when commenting on spiritual leadership and the gift, after looking at the life and the words and the way of Jesus and his kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, he said this. This is what he had to say about spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership is not merely a matter of being mighty in the spiritual realm or having astonishing effects. I think it's really important to note that in in a day and age where we focus on outcomes so heavily, it's not about having astonishing effects. It is essentially a matter of being able to induct others into the spiritual life and guide them in their development in it, guiding them into the kingdom's flow and then seeing them flourish because they're going deeper and deeper with the person of Jesus, becoming who they were meant to be as disciples of Jesus and experiencing the life and love of God in their own lives and that permeating everything that they do. You see, this is such a different way of leading. It is not about position. It is not about authority. It is not about titles. Because in the end, the gift of leadership, or any of the gifts in actuality, any of the gifts, aren't about the one, uh, sorry, aren't about the one with the gift, but the one who gave the gift. And this, I would say, is a key separation between the natural ability to lead and what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. Those empowered by his spirit. It is very, very different. And so this morning, I want to end with just one verse from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And this is kind of, to me, just captures what's happened for Peter and for the other disciples But being that we've just journeyed a bit with Peter this morning, I think it's really important to pay attention to what's happened. So this is really early on in the church, in church's history. The Spirit has come upon Peter and the other disciples. Some pretty crazy cool things have started happening. But then Peter finds himself before the Sanhedrin, like the religious leaders, and he's having to give an answer for why he's doing what he's doing. And he gives some amazing answers. And then it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been with Jesus. So this morning, I don't know if God has given you the gift of leadership, the spiritual gift of leadership. I don't know what gifts he has given you, but what I would be encouraging you to, calling you to, inviting you to, not because it's like something I've come up with, but because it's something I've heard from Jesus, that if we want to function in these gifts in health, 
if we want to see people flourish, if we want to see the church become who she is meant to be, then I think the most important thing that can be said about us is that when people look on, they say, that person has been with Jesus. That person has been with, with Jesus. Their leadership is different because they have been with Jesus. Their service is different because they have been with Jesus. Their acts and gifts of faith are different because they've been with Jesus. Whatever it might be. Because in the end, like I was saying, the key difference between the natural ability to lead and the spiritual gift is that the gift of leadership is about the extension of God's kingdom, not our own. The spiritual gift of leadership is about the extension of God's kingdom, not our own. And so... I'll leave it there this morning, Fano. Trusting that, as I said, this is a taster. This is a sampler, like in the supermarket, where we might have a bit more of like walking around the supermarket to do. But as we do so, as we walk around the rest of this week and life, and we lean into Jesus more and more, that we would just be asking, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? Lord, what are you calling me to in this? Lord, how can I trust you more in this? And as we like, lean into him and experience communion with him, life with him, love with him, man, I'm excited to see what this, what this community becomes because of Jesus, not because of me. Let's pray. Lord, we um, come before you as the high king of heaven. You are Lord of lords and king of kings, ruler over all things. And so we humbly come before you, but we also do so in confidence because of what you have done for us you have enabled us to come before you. We praise you, Father, for the work of the cross. For your extravagant love shown towards us. Lord, we thank you that your leadership and that the way your kingdom works is upside down back to front, and yet at the same time, the right way up. That it's not about grappling for power or control, but ultimately surrendering to you. And as we do so, experiencing communion and life with you, God. So, for those here this morning with the gift of leadership, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would affirm that, that you would empower that, that you would fill them up and equip them to lead in the way that you have designed them to lead, but that you would help them also to understand that this gift of leadership that you have placed upon them and within them 
is a gift to see your kingdom extended and your kingdom come, your will being done. And so, Lord, we surrender to you. We thank you that you designed your church in a way to function in unity and harmony. Yeah, we love you, King Jesus. We need you, King Jesus. Lord, have your way. Mm. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen.